Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, responsible grain. It is a national code of practice being developed to show Canadian farmers care about the environment. It will address consumer and customer priorities and provide practical advice for farmers to continue to improve their farming operations. Committee Chair Ted Menzies from Claire's Home, Alberta, says the draft code developed by farmers and industry experts has been completed and is now open for consultations. Ted will share why it's important to have a code to share with customers at home and abroad. Agriculture is a key driver of Canadian economic growth. Achieving export goals will only happen through the development of a strong crop sector. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, along with Cereals Canada, have established their wheat research priorities from now until 2022. Victoria Linden is the research director with Cereals Canada, and she'll share those priorities and why it's important to revisit these goals every few years. After the break, Ted Menzies. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Ted Menzies chairs the committee that is developing a code of practice for the grain, oil, seeds and special crops industry in Canada. Ted, why was it felt that a national code of practice was was important and uh, why it needed to be developed? It came from a discussion about public trust whether consumers trusted what farmers are doing. And we're, we're hearing this from uh, consumers here and consumers around the world. And there's market access issues, and we hear of them all the time, whether it's uh, blackleg black spores supposedly found in canola samples in China or many other issues, uh, not all of them real, some of them perceived, some of them for other political or international trade reasons. But the public trust is so important, especially when it comes to food. And it's even more important now because people need to know where their food is coming from. And some people want to know who's growing it. But they want to know how it's grown. And so the code of practice began its development about 18 months ago, trying to put down on paper something that people could understand, very plain and very simple, that farmers do to to protect the soil that they grow their crops in, to protect the air around us, that being the connection to reduced environmental impacts, reduced emissions, how we protect the water, the water that falls on our land, the water that comes in excess and has to be removed from our land, uh, how we deal with drainage, how we deal with erosion, how we protect the soil that's going to continue growing this food, and also how we protect the animals, the wild species that frequent our land as well. And the final one that we felt was important was how do we make, how do we show people that we care about the people that help us grow that food, whether it's our family or whether it's people that are employed on the farm. And so all of those have been rolled into a number of modules, seven modules actually, that show that farmers are growing grain responsibly. 
And so that's the underpinning to the whole process. Ted, who was involved in setting up the preliminary draft, uh, preparing it and uh, having it ready to present for discussion? Well, there was a number of uh, people that were involved, many associations. So the the greater association that, that brought it all together was the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Crops. And many of your listeners will have heard of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef that has been very successful uh, at, at showing the public that uh, the way that, that livestock, the way that beef is produced, is very responsible, conserving the pasture land that they work on, that they grow their livestock on. All of these processes are done responsibly. So uh, the Roundtable for Sustainable Crops um, have, they have a steering committee. So the steering committee wanted to form a, another committee made up of uh, individuals from a lot of their members and some from from uh, other than the members of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Crops. They put together a code development committee as well as a scientific committee to advise the development committee and then a communications and engagement committee. Because a big part of this, and this will come as no surprise to most people, is communicating this message. We, we believe that farmers are already acting responsibly in growing grain, but how do we communicate that? So these two subcommittees providing input to the development committee, uh, I think brought a very good draft proposal to this stage and that's the stage we're at right now is putting it out for public consult uh, public consultation to farmers to supply input suppliers to grain exporters to food processors and to the public if they want to have a have a look at it as we're in our final development stages uh, we should mention that this is something that the beef industry has certainly embraced. We're seeing the benefits of that now, um, the success, because of the steps that they have taken. I'm sure that this is something that uh, your committee has looked at as well. Oh, absolutely. And we've, we've used that not only as a model, but some of the individuals in developing that uh, sustainable beef code of practice have actually helped us, uh, guided us away from, you know, this This is what important, this is what is important, um, that, you know, th- these sorts of things guided us to, to the right kinds of messages that, uh, that we can show that are actually, that prove the sustainability of what we're doing. The fact that what we're doing to grow canola, for example, on my farm here in southern Alberta, can be continued on because the soil is healthier now than when I first started growing canola when it was first introduced back in the late 1970s. And the yields have increased, and we're growing a healthier product, and we can continue to do that. So it's continued improvement in the methods of production, as well as as the outcome of the food that we're producing. 
Ted, let's talk about the consultation process. And and I guess, first of all, how is the pandemic impacting um, your ability to communicate with others and your efforts to get that feedback that uh, that you want? Well, we have a wonderful lady that is leading us uh, or as, a, as our executive director, Susie Miller. And Susie was able to bridge that challenge. Susie Miller was able to bridge the challenge of dealing with uh, not being able to sit down at a grower meeting, for example, in uh, Regina or Saskatoon or Winnipeg. But we're doing this virtually, so we've put an interactive process together uh, that's all done virtually through computers. And it's it's actually, in my view, going to provide us with a better outcome because yeah, as of today, we have, we have put all of these uh, modules, these seven modules, up on the website of responsiblegrain.ca, and I can repeat that later. Uh, if you go on to that site, you as an individual farmer or a farm group or a commission, can go onto that site and click on the resource component of it and it, the modules show up. And so there's two main components to each one of those modules. And one is the requirements. What is required of a farmer? What is required of a grain producer to be able to meet what the public think are standards, appropriate standards of producing food? But the second one is recommendations and how can they do it better? And so I would argue that uh, a lot of the requirements, the majority of the requirements are already met and many of the recommendations are as well. Farmers have been doing this. They just haven't been explaining how well they're doing it. And uh, through this process, it's really important for farmers to provide feedback on this paper because ultimately it will have a direct impact on grain and oilseed producers. Well, and absolutely it will because we can't, as someone that's producing food, we can't deny information to someone that we expect to consume something that's grown on our farm, nor should we. Uh, they have the right to know how it's grown. Am I am I growing it? Am I as a farmer? Am I growing this sustainably? Will uh, my children and grandchildren be able to continue growing the food that I'm producing now? Uh, hopefully, in more in higher quantities, but it, as good a quality as we're producing now, without hurting the land, without hurting the wildlife that are on that land, uh, protecting the wetlands. This is a voluntary process. And so it will not be onerous on the farmer to sit down after a long day in the field and have to fill out paperwork. It, the information will be gathered on an aggregate measure through the sustainability metrics platform that we can go back and check as, uh, as time goes by to see that farmers are following these requirements. Many many of these requirements, if I can dwell on those for a bit, many of these requirements are already there. If you're growing canola for a specific market, you already have requirements in your contract, and you've probably signed a contract, whether it's um, malt barney for a specific malt company, there's requirements there already, and people are meeting those without a challenge. 
And so many of the requirements that that we put in place may be a regulation, either a municipal or a provincial or a federal regulation, that are already in place. And uh, and so there's not a big change from the way the farmer is doing it right now. But we're putting it down on paper. And the one example that I used is I was asked to travel to China uh, uh, more than a year ago, actually. Uh, we were blocked out of China with canola and with pork and with beef. Uh, part of the reason we were there was to plead for the release of the two Michaels. And it was a fairly high-level delegation. And I asked questions of the Chinese. What What are the concerns? What are the health concerns that you're finding with our canola? And uh, I didn't get an answer back. And I said, are you finding black leg spores in the canola? Is that the issue? And I got a blank stare. So it wasn't that. But in turn, I didn't have even a piece of paper that I could hold up and say, here's how farmers in Canada care so much about what they're growing that they follow these protocols, that they follow this responsible grain code of practice. And I didn't have that. And that's why I've become so passionate about this, because I thought, we're missing this. I wasn't the one that started this. I'm not taking any credit for that. But at that moment, I realized if we had a code of practice to, to show to people, whether, as I say, whether it's a consumer in Toronto or a consumer in Beijing, this is how farmers produce their grain responsibly and they care about what they're growing for consumers. Ted, the consultations are underway right now. Explain what the timeline for this process is. Well, we'll take it back and review the recommendations because individual farmers, as I think I mentioned, individual farmers can log on to this responsiblegrain.ca and give us their input. Will this work on my phone, on your farm? Is this economically viable in your operation? They can give us feedback. So we'll take all of that feedback after the end of February and put that into the final code. Because I'm not suggesting we got this all right. This is a draft, and it's a draft to put out to farmers and the whole uh, value chain for grains and oilseeds production. We'll take that feedback and uh, develop the final code and develop an implementation process. So starting in May through to, uh, through to December will be the rollout of it. And, and it will be gradual adoption. Many it will, for many farmers, it'll be seamless. And just, hey, this is what I've been doing all along. Great. And some, wow, I never thought of that. The challenge that we faced was how do we put in place a code that works for uh, the rotation of grain that potato farmers have, have in their in their standard crop rotation in Prince Edward Island? How do we make a code that works for them but also works for the prairies or the Palliser Triangle? This is a broad country. Yet, uh, there's a lot of different crops. There's a lot of different soil types. There's a lot of different rainfall amounts. Um, so, so we've had to uh, put a lot of effort in, into developing a code that works for all grains all across this country. And Ted, just uh, remind us again, tell us where we can find all the information we need about this paper. 
Well, the best way to contact us is through your computer, because everybody's at home. You've got lots of time now. Responsiblegrain.ca. And uh, there's a, a good analysis of the process, but the where you want to go to look at the actual um, modules and the feedback and provide us your feedback, click on the resources up at the top, resources and responsiblegrain.ca. Ted Menzies is chairing the committee looking at developing a national code of practice for grains and oilseeds. After the break, Victoria Linden with Cereals Canada is going to share wheat research priorities right up until 2023. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Victoria Linden is the Director of Research with Cereals Canada. Uh, the wheat research priorities through to 2022 have now been established. Victoria, first of all, explain the Wheat Research Strategy Task Group. Who is involved and, and what is your purpose? So the, the Wheat Research Priority Task Group is a, a cross-value chain national in scope, a group of representatives who have interest in wheat research in Canada. And so we we came together, we had our our, our inaugural meeting in 2017 to to get together and identify what what our research priorities should be in wheat. Um, And we've just met this uh, spring, early summer, of 2020 to uh, do a little environment check, uh, have discussions about what's changed since that first meeting, and make adjustments to uh, our, our research priorities through to 2020. Now, I understand that you have five research priorities. Maybe just run through those. For sure. Our, our five research priority themes are improving wheat yield, improving wheat yield reliability, Cropping system sustainability, continuous improvement in food safety, and maintaining customer quality. So as you mentioned, all of this started in 2017. So how have those priorities changed since that initial uh, strategy was set out? The the priorities themselves haven't changed. Those are, are still um important deliverables for for all research work. However, uh, with the updates, we've made some adjustments to how we'll measure success across those themes. So in the initial report, we had uh, measurements of success for each of the themes. However, in the update, we've uh, adjusted that to have four key measures that are across themes. And those are to measure the wheat yield increase, the uh, Canadian Wheat Productivity Intake Index, the uptake of best management practices, and then comparing Canadian wheat uh, against our global competitors. And those key measures, as you'll notice, just based on what they are, they'll have um, uh, factors that affect them from, from each of the themes. That's why we've adjusted it uh, to measurements across themes rather than by, by specific themes. Um, I would just add that uh, that knowledge transfer is uh, a really important part of the updates that that we've made to the research priority document. Um, being able to 
uh, translate uh, important research that is going on so that it can be um, impactful for for those that that are interested in in the research from the the producer level to the extension uh, specialists uh, as well as other links of the value chain. So knowledge transfer is a, a really key component of, of each of our themes and measurements. So is it the hope or plan then that this outline will help researchers understand uh, what kinds of projects are likely going to be good candidates and maybe eliminate some of the projects that don't really fall within those parameters? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and our, our hope is that, uh, like you mentioned, that there'll, there'll be a resource for researchers, but also for uh, funding organizations in, in Canada. Uh, we've, we've had a number of people, including the funding organizations themselves, uh, as, as key, key members of our task group. Um, so the idea is, is that it, it can be a tool to, to focus research investments, uh, reduce redundancies, and uh, enable collaboration. Now, I would imagine that you receive many, many applications for funding for research projects. Can you give me a sense of how many applications you would receive and how that translates into the actual projects that are approved? So, uh, Serials Canada itself does not directly fund research. Um, but So, it would be groups like, you know, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada through uh, CAP funding and then uh, through, you know, producer commissions that, that fund fund that type of research. So I don't have those details on number of applications that come in. I think, well, we can all agree that wheat really is at the heart of agriculture. And while it's not as profitable as other crops like canola, um, why is it important that the research continues for wheat? Uh, it's vital in the rotations. I guess it is the hope that you can uh, make more money for farmers. Yes, for sure. And you know, through through this research, um, uh, new new varieties will be able to be delivered with benefits uh, for the producers as well as throughout the value chain. You know, through to the end users. And, and it'll provide an opportunity to ensure that there is continued innovation in wheat research so that it can be part of, um, you know, a profitable rotation and, and key, of course, to sustainability as well of our Canadian agriculture. I guess I, I don't want to diminish the importance of wheat, but we do export a lot of that particular crop. Absolutely. And that's, that's another thing, you know, innovation and uh, profitability domestically. Um, and, and also, like you said, we export a lot of wheat. So um, ensuring that the, the wheat that we produce in Canada is competitive at, at a global stage and that, you know, we have that edge over uh, some of the other large wheat producing regions in the world. So how do you approach or revisit these priorities? I suppose it's something that could be happening as early as next year? Yeah, we'll, we'll likely uh, continue the, the conversations next year as well. Um, so these priorities uh, will, will be in effect through 2022. And, uh, and then 2023, we'll, we'll have a new iteration of this document. Victoria Linden is the Director of Research with Serials Canada.
It's time for the weekly agriculture news roundup for the week of December 7th, 2020. The federal carbon tax will increase in the next 10 years. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a climate change plan that would see the carbon tax hit $170 a ton by the end of 2030. At the present time, the carbon tax is $30 per ton. It will rise by $10 in each of the next two years until 2022. The annual increases in the carbon tax starting in 2023 will be $15 a metric ton until it reaches $170 a ton by 2030. Glaslin area farmer and Western Canadian wheat growers representative Daryl Fransu says the numbers are outrageous and the move would kill agriculture in Canada and make farmers uncompetitive on the world market. Nutrien launched a new carbon program, which it says will fight climate change while at the same time providing a financial boost to a farmer's bottom line. The Saskatchewan-based company said it's implementing a plan to assist growers plan, plant and track sustainable farming practices and improve carbon performance. The Nutrien Carbon Program will work with select growers next year with expansion plans down the road. The United States formally accused Canada of unfairly limiting the ability of American dairy producers to sell their products north of the border. U.S. Trade Ambassador Robert Lighthizer said the U.S. has made a request for consultations to address Canada's limits on a variety of dairy products. It's a step towards setting up a dispute resolution panel, which would be the first of its kind under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. The Trudeau government has insisted that the quotas are well within the bounds of the agreement. It has been a challenging year for cattle and hog sectors, and changes to agri-stability would provide much-needed support. That from Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association. They're hoping the provincial government will accept an offer from Ottawa to improve agri-stability until 2023. Ottawa said the reference margin limit would be removed, an important point for the cow-calf sector. SCA Chair Arnold Balicki said his organization has been lobbying the provincial government to accept a federal offer to make changes to the business risk management program. Ottawa's offer comes with the traditional 60-40 split, which would mean higher per capita costs for the prairie provinces. A leading expert on clubroot in Canola said seed varieties with second-generation clubroot resistance are effective against new disease pathotypes. Stephen Strelkoff with the University of Alberta said also a three-year crop rotation does a good job reducing clubroot spore levels in the soil. Protein Industries Canada announced a partnership that will research and develop new applications for pulse flowers. Five companies in Canada and the UK have joined forces to test and develop new applications for tempered pulse flowers that can be used in numerous ways, including bakery, snacks, confectionery, pasta, soup, sauces and dressings. CEO Bill Gruel said creating new product applications for Canadian plant proteins drives demand and generates value to the industry from farms to grocery stores. The group Friends of the Canadian Wheat Board have received the green light from the Manitoba Court of Appeal to pursue a legal claim against the federal government. Group Chair Stuart Wells of Swift Current, Saskatchewan, said the court action follows the privatization of the Canadian Wheat Board by the Harper government. 
He said the group is calling for the return of $150 million to farmers that were marketing wheat and barley through the Wheat Board in 2011 and 2012. The legal action also calls for $10 million in punitive damages, and with interest accrued since 2012, the total claim is roughly $190 million. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarland and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.